0: Welcome to the Corporate Treasury 101 podcast. This is the first section of our full interview with Amy Cullen. Amy is a seasoned treasury professional and had numerous leading roles in corporate treasury departments, such as Johnson & Johnson, where she grew from business analyst to senior manager, capital markets and global cash analysis, or CarTroller, where she was the head of treasury. She also is the president of the IACT, the Irish Association of Corporate Treasurers and a third leader in the treasury industry. In the episode of today, expect to learn what is a treasury center, the differences between a treasury center and a shared service center, what are the activities performed by teams sitting in a treasury center, the potential tax and legal considerations of such a setup, what are the common locations for treasury centers and much much more. Amy is just amazing. She is full of insights, truly embodies her role as a leader, and the conversation is flowing, and we had, honestly, quite some fun with you, We really enjoyed it, and we hope you will like it as well. If that is the case, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. It helps the podcast a lot, takes only two seconds, and makes Usam and I very happy indeed. With all that being said, Please welcome Amy Cullen.
1: So Amy, thank you so much for joining us. You're going to take us through what treasury centres are, I believe. So could you just start off by telling us, well, what is a treasury centre?
2: Thank you for inviting me to speak to you. In terms of... Like treasury centres are, what you're looking for really is how you would optimise and centralise your treasury activities. So a lot of companies will ver- move from a decentralised treasury approach to a more centralised. I think in my experience, the optimum treasury centre would be the in-house bank, which we can probably talk about a little bit later on. But what I have seen uh, in terms of treasury centres are regional, so where you might have your treasury operations, be it your back office, your you know, which so your deal confirmations, your investments team, or your foreign exchange team, all centralized in one location. Uh, I have worked in a couple of different companies where you might have an investment center, so the investment team would sit in one location. In my experience, so depending on the degree of maturity that a company has around its treasury, they will you know pick and choose which aspects of that whole treasury. Uh, Workflow that they will centralize. So it's about getting, I guess, those subject matter experts into one one place.
1: Okay, that's very interesting. We did a we did an episode a little while back with a Bart Hendricks where we talked about shared service centers. Yeah. So, like, what's the? It sounds like the same thing. What's the difference between a treasury center and a shared service center?
2: So I would see a shared service center as more focused on accounts payable, for example, or accounts receivable. So the bigger volume, maybe aspects of the supply chain, whereas treasury would be a lot more focused on the technical treasury piece. And so the execution of intercompany loans, for example, so that managing lending between your subsidiaries and um, the investments. So taking whatever excess cash you have, lending externally, or if it's case that the company is more debt dependent, that you would centralize the management of that debt in a treasury center. And again, deal directly with those counterparty banks. So it would be usually a lot smaller than a, a shared service center.
1: Okay, very good. So what kind of activities would you expect in treasury center then? So things like cash management, risk management, corporate finance, what, what, what all of those, none of those?
2: Pretty much. And again, it depends on the size of the company. You know, I've seen um, treasury centers where the company share scheme would be part of that, that treasury center. Company pension might fall under as well. Mergers and acquisitions would also sit in that particular treasury center. Um, but I think on a like say normal basis or what would be common around a lot of companies would be the intercompany funding. So, you know, starting um, who needs to be funded, be it for like rollouts, new locations, just the general day-to-day working capital management would be done there. Absolutely, liquidity management and cash management is probably at the core um, you'll hear a lot of treasurers complain about having visibility on bank accounts. So I think it's really within the Treasury Center you will look to to optimize and to centralize that and to get that holistic view on all of the, the bank accounts that are within your company. So like that's the basic right of treasury. Where is my cash? Who needs the cash within the company and what should I be doing with it? And that's where you would feed on with that external view on investments. So, you know, do I look at money market funds, bank deposits? Um, or get more exotic around commercial paper and medium term notes. Again, like depending on your size, but that size will actually dictate also what type of expertise you need within your treasury centre. And then obviously, as you mentioned, the risk management is crucial as well. So at the very start, that's typically currency. So what currency risk do you have? How should you be protecting yourself? If you decide that you want to have a hedging programme in place, a lot of companies don't. But if you want to execute those hedges or spot trades, that would typically be done in a treasury center. And as we've seen more recently, lots of people getting into commodities. And again, depending on the complexity of your company, but that expertise would typically sit within treasury and also mergers, acquisitions, divestitures very much sits within treasury as well. Going back to the earlier point on the liquidity management, you know, when the first things you do, I guess, when you require a company, figure out where their cash is and bring it into your own. Um, your own cash ecosystem. So you'd have a lot of that. And then obviously, um, governance is a massive thing. Like that's at the core of what a lot of treasurers will do. So you will often have a team that's responsible for defining processes, policies, like educating people and making sure that there's adherence to those policies as well. So I think that is mostly what we would get busy at as treasurers. Very Mm -hmm.
1: interesting. So in that setup, do you still have like regional treasury managers throughout and then have like certain activities localized uh, or centralized, sorry?
2: Yeah. So very often you'll see like that hub and spoke about. Your corporate treasury typically sits alongside your other corporate functions. You know, a treasurer will generally report into the CFO of, uh, in terms of the C-suite. And within that, then you would cascade globally. So you're looking, you know, Tax is obviously a big issue for a lot of companies in terms of where they locate, you know, the the presence of their business, where most of their their business is done. Um, but that will also influence sometimes where you situate a treasury centre. So in terms of lending, you know, where your business is most active to, you will typically put your treasury centre because... Within the corporate treasury, you'll go down probably into an OUS treasury center that will be looking at the intercompany lending, looking at the investments, looking at FX. And then as part of that, you would also see a further reach out regionally. So if you're a multinational and your geographical footprint is worldwide, you would typically have a treasury center in every region. So... The reasons for that is obviously to connect with the business because you want to make sure that you have a centre locally that can support the business because treasury is, again, a support function. But you're closer to the business, you'll understand their flows, you'll be able to then define your risks, understand your cash, understand your needs. And it's very important to have that dialogue locally. So a lot of companies will put a regional treasury centre on the ground. You know, in regions like LATAM, ASAPAC, it's a lot more complicated than you would see in mainland Europe or the US. You know, inflation, currency, that type of thing. So it just makes sense that you're on the ground with the the finance leaders and with the the business leaders. So you'll see a lot of companies situate like that. And again, it means that you've got to follow the sun, you know, sort of way of working. So everybody gets supported, which helps. But then, you know, as I think we we might touch on later, being Irish and able to promote Ireland as a as a treasury center and as a hub for these type of treasury centers, you do see some companies looking for just one central location that will meet as many of the times it needs as possible and can actually provide that geographical coverage because obviously it's a lot more efficient.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good point to, to make the transition because we, we definitely want to talk about locations. Where do those treasury centers sit exactly? But maybe to begin with... If there is anything we learned uh, throughout those hundred plus episodes on the on the podcast is that tax and legal implications are never too far from treasury, right? So what's uh, what are they uh, when we when it comes to treasury centers? Actually, what are the tax and legal implications treasurers need to bear in mind? And since you broke it down already globally and then regionally,
2: yeah, I think tax, treasury, and legal are like either not always butting heads but definitely holding hands and would like typically be around the table for these types of discussions. You know, with taxes, there's certain tax treaties when it comes to intercompany interest, for example, or or dealings between countries that might influence how you manage your intercompany funding. but typically it's where is your presence? You know, so where you're doing more business, like that gives you a natural tax presence. You never want to be in a situation where you're creating a tax exposure where there shouldn't be one. So I know this like you know, slightly off topic, but, In terms of people through COVID, where they people wanted to work right from really exotic locations and not their home country. But if if your business doesn't have a presence there and you're running, like you're executing your day job there, you're creating a tax liability for the company. So, you know, these types of little things, obviously, tax always needs to keep an eye on. So we definitely work hand in hand with tax to make sure that you're adhering to any tax rulings or um, these types of uh, legislations. And then, from a legal perspective, again, it's you know, am I meant to be doing business in this country? What are the regulations? You know, making sure that you're complying with all of the uh, the regulations and requirements from a central bank perspective, or just generally government regulations.
0: So, when it comes to treasury, that would be that would be what exactly like the way uh, how you sweep your cash, for instance, when you're in a cash pool uh, setup, how yeah. you make payments, uh, how much. Like if there is some floats, um, all this kind of stuff? Or what is- absolutely.
2: Yeah. So once I suppose what I described there was really like the setup and, and what markets we would be in. But once you're active, it's absolutely. Can I, as Portuguese subsidiary, lend to my, you know, German colleagues? Does that make sense? Um, And, y- you know, you have to be very careful about the um equity structure, the, the capital structure of your affiliates, because... You know, different countries may deem a, an intercompany loan to be a capital injection or a deemed dividend, depending on on how the organisational structure looks. So that's exactly right. Why you need, you need to stay hand in hand with tax and with legal to make sure that where you're trying to optimise your cash management, you're not creating any concerns around that capital structure. It will dictate how you operate your cash pool as well. So do you want it to be cross-border? Do you want to keep it in-country? You know how centralized and like efficient can you get without causing any uh,
0: problems? Makes a lot of sense. And then to layers with the locations. What are the? We we're gonna have a full breakdown of island because of course we we can't wait to talk about this location in particular. But on a more general perspective, what are the main locations when it comes to treasury centers? So you, you broke down this regional aspect. Where yeah. would we find regional treasury centers, and where do companies? like would prefer to establish the treasury center, global one?
2: Um, know the U.S., I think you would probably see centers more generally. So depending on, again, a lot of U.S. multinationals will have them wherever their corporate headquarters are. And uh, I would say then, more generally, Ireland's definitely a hub for treasury centers within Europe, Belgium. Certain uh, companies would have a Swiss treasury center. I think in ASAPAC, it would really be Singapore, right? That would be the main one. But then some companies are locating within China, obviously, because like that's such a complex economy. It just makes sense that you would have uh, a treasury center there. And uh, then for LATAM, typically Brazil, so Sao Paulo, but then an awful lot of companies. And I think which probably would have got a lot more um, rotations from abroad, companies will locate in Miami. So just being that sort of English Spanish speaking hub uh, that can give the support to LATAM more generally, and then obviously interface a lot more easily with the the US. So uh, they would be the primary locations, I would say.
0: Okay, so for Miami, I think I I grasp why, (laughs) from my recent experience, to start definitely not the cheapest locations in terms of in terms of labor and like cost of yeah of of talents. What do those locations have in particular to attract treasury centers?
2: I think it is the talent, you know, like obviously like it is at a cost. It's the language, you know, so being able to have like obviously English being the primary business language for a lot of companies, but like that having the the workforce that is probably, you know, educated, qualified accountants uh, with a financial background so that would typically be it. And, you know, the earlier question about the, the shared service centers, you would typically see the shared service centers located in lower cost regions or cities.
0: And that highlights one of the differences between shared service center and treasury centers then to come back to uh, Sam's question. Yeah. Super clear.
1: Exactly. You also mentioned tax havens. All the countries that you mentioned had pretty good corporate tax schemes just yeah. to not beat around that, the bush. That's
2: harder than, uh, than calling it a tax haven. But yeah.
1: <laughs> and is That 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 probably plays a part as well in centralizing these things because it's not just treasury in these locations. It's sort of coupled with other corporate functions, I assume.
2: Yes. Yeah, typically it would be, you know, again, going back to the, the partnership between legal and tax, you would probably have a regional and corporate tax function in the same location as, as treasury. Um. Yeah, you know, the tax incentives and the the tax rates would help, uh, you know, and then it's more historic, I guess, because obviously we've got a lot more happening now in terms of BEPS, Pillar 2 and the tax harmonization where that mightn't be the the primary driver and shouldn't be the primary driver. But historically, that is where that would have originated. I mean, certainly Ireland with the IFSC type structure, which was giving companies like 10% tax rate. Yeah, that would definitely be the history. But again, it's sort of, is self-fulfilling in that it would have attracted talent, people who are educated, people have experience. And so now if you want to bring, you know, your treasury center here, that's where you're going to find the experienced teams that you want to execute on a, a technical mm. level. You know, you will see an awful lot of spin-off. So for example, funds as well locating in the same place that you would have a lot of treasury centers.
1: There's the, an the interesting analogy with manufacturing in the similar regard. So China was always seen as this very cheap place to manufacture like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not the cheapest place globally anymore, but they, because they were so cheap back then, they built up so much manufacturing experience that yeah. it's just the best place to manufacture now because they have the experience and they're cost competitive. Um, but there are cheaper places sprung up now that just didn't extract the same weight because it's self fulfilling. So interesting draw parallel. From a structure's perspective, point of view, Amy, I imagine that if you have this sort of hub and spoke model, a lot of your systems, et cetera, would have to be sort of built around that, right? So something as simple as your, your TMS or your ERP, would you see companies that have this hub and spoke model have different TMS and ERP implementations? Does that drive it at all?
2: I think it makes it easier to have a more centralized approach to IT, Mm -hmm. you know, because the bigger companies, like a lot of the pharmaceutical companies will have a treasury IT team that sits within treasury, which is always a win, Uh, you know, because you're you're developing the knowledge base and you have somebody on hand to help you develop that, that whole infrastructure. Like a decentralized treasury approach is more likely to have You know, you might share a treasury management system, but you're probably not going to have a treasury management system. I think a lot of times you'll see people just excel, right, coming out of the ERP and some of the reporting done that way. You know, a lot of bigger companies, as we were talking earlier, do also have to manage without a TMS. But in my experience with the larger companies, they will take a single approach and it means they can develop a treasury management system. They can develop the processes and controls around what they're doing and make sure that they're reflected in their IT infrastructure. So, you know, you're giving a way of working to all of your regions and it gives you that comfort as well, obviously, when you're staying at a corporate level, that things are being executed in the proper way. You'll also, if you are centralizing your investments or centralizing your FX through a particular treasury center, it means you can also, you know, hopefully not customize too much, but you can focus on what you need to deliver and to automate that workflow as well. So, you know, you'll have the cost efficiencies of centralizing your trading or centralizing your investments. So it will just make sense. You'll have the cash, let's say, or the justification for developing um, a really straight through process. So that will also drive your technology and your IT agenda.
1: That makes a lot of sense. What about in terms of your bank structure? How do you set that up in a hub and spoke treasury system model?
2: And again, the, the point I made, you know, about bank accounts, being a bugbear of treasurers and particularly if you're a very acquisitive company, trying to keep a handle on them and, and where the cash is, most treasurers will look to rationalize their bank accounts as much as they can. And that should also, you know, feed into how you define your banking relationship. Now, again, depending if you're cash generative or, you know, debt funded, that will dictate how you manage those banking relationships. But Typically, you know, my experience, my view is as much as you can minimize the number of relationships you have and foster those relationships because you only have so much wallet to go around as well. You want to be important to the banks in that, you know, you want to demand a certain level of service and support from them. And that often comes, you know, with it's it's sort of parallel to or draws parallels to what you're the business you're doing with them, you know, whether they are happy to escalate you or give you that platinum service. Sometimes you can't help but have a more local bank, you know, due to taxes, payroll, that type of, you know, clearing relationship, depending on the countries that you're in. But my view is, you know, if you can minimize them, make good solids, um, build solid relationships with the banks, that's going to work more in your favor and will help you then you know flagging for example if an affiliate locally decides to open up a bank account that they shouldn't so it's just to help you just sort of enforce those controls you know so i think the banking relationships again would typically be managed by the treasury centers and that's what you would want to do so then you can hold the banks accountable that's well as what they're meant to deliver and then also leverage them because the banks can be a great source of insight into developments you know like what's coming on in the markets you know what new products are there. They'll often share without naming names, but give you an idea of what your peers are doing, which is also great market information and, and good data points. So, they're a very important relationship, I think, for a corporate treasurer.
1: Small terminology question: There, you, you said depends if you're debt operated or or cash, something. I think you said is that like just having a positive cash flow versus a negative cash flow, or
2: yeah, pretty much. So, I think. You know, if you have a revolving credit facility, or you need to borrow from a bank, you obviously need to nurture those relationships because one of the risks is obviously your funding risk. So making sure that you will always have access to debt, and if you need to renew a facility, Mm -hmm. that you're staying close with your banks, and they understand this and understand what your cash needs will be. Because as a treasurer, you want to make sure that you you secure that funding. Um, so that would be you know, a different type of relationship versus if I'm very cash rich. There's some banks, you know, particularly when interest rates were negative, don't want to hear from you because they don't want to take your cash. You know, so you'll have a bit of a, like different types of relationships depending on what your core objectives are.
1: That's really interesting. So the ideal setup, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you actually have a bank which um, is maybe headquartered in the same place you have your treasury center, but with branches available in all of your local um, areas as well. Would that be like, if you could design a bank, that was perfect for you. Is that how you would design it? Or
2: I wouldn't worry too much about their headquarters. What I would try and match is their geographical footprint to mine. So like pretty much it's right there. Like the headquarters wouldn't worry me so much. Like obviously, you know, like you'd say in Ireland, you'd have the green jersey approach that, you know, they're an Irish bank, they'd like to support an Irish company. Uh, and I'm sure that's true worldwide. Um, but if you have a multinational business, it would be less of a consideration. It's really just matching that geographical footprint.
1: Okay, very clear. So going back to the implications of this hub and spoke model to different aspects of being in a company, like, do you see that affect the, the company culture or the relationship that, so two questions, company culture within treasury as as just a treasury department, and secondly, like, company culture in the relationship between treasury and other functions and other corporate functions within the same company. How does that change perhaps with this?
2: I think within, like if we take the treasury piece first, where you might have corporate treasury and then you'll have treasury centers at a regional level, there's definitely like there's a dynamic there in that probably the ways of working, your policies, your processes are going to come from corporate. You'll be accountable to the corporate treasury to show that you've actually, you know, you're implementing these, you know, be it SOX controls or or just proving um, that you're compliant with whatever the global policies are. Um, and that could be through quarterly reviews, through regular check-ins, cash management councils, risk councils, you know, various format, I guess, for the corporate treasury to come together with the regional treasury you know, corporate treasury will rely on the regional treasury team to tell them what's happening at a local level and on a country level. There'll be certain metrics around that, you know, like what cash is sitting where, why is it with certain banks, you know, the tough questions can come. So that would dictate that, like there is that reliance on information between corporate and regional treasury and important that you maintain that relationship. I think, you know, certainly what I found as I was lucky enough to have a couple of international rotations Corporate can also can sometimes be a little bit idealistic, so they know how they would like it to run. But you also need people on the ground to say, well, look, that's just not feasible, you know, in this country due to this regulation or, you know, this way of working or the culture in a certain company. You know, you're not going to give anybody a pass just because they don't want to do it or they don't like doing it or that's just not how they do it. But I think it's feeding that in to say, okay, how do we educate people or how do we take a different approach to make sure people are compliant by understanding that dynamic? So there's definitely that aspect, I think, which is interesting. And then, like on the second question for Treasury and the business, let's say, you know, if you have corporate Treasury, again, it's that ivory tower type thing, right? People on the ground level. If you're US headquartered and you have somebody, I don't know, like in. New Zealand or even in South Africa or somewhere, you know, depending, I'm very focused on uh, time zones. But if the time zone is different, it's going to be hard to build that relationship, right? And to share information. And if I'm a bit removed from corporate treasury as a finance director, I might just go and, you know, if the local bank knocks on my door and wants to tell me about these great initiatives, I might be more inclined, you know, to, to work with them and to make my own decisions on how the cash management manage, which is not what you want. So, I think if you don't have a regional treasury structure as a corporate treasury, you need to be making a lot of trips, right? And, you know, calling on finance directors and understanding their business because, you know, like I mentioned, KPIs and reporting earlier, that only tells you so much. Like you really need to understand the business dynamic, the rotations from treasury into the business and the business into treasury are really, really useful because you're sharing information, you're understanding more than just okay, what are you going to do with the cash and and who needs a loan? like you really need to understand what are the drivers behind your cash flow, you know, and your risk where it like what could potentially be an exposure for us so that interaction between treasury and the business is crucial, and obviously, the regional treasury approach makes it easier, you know because probably you don't have the language barrier, you understand the countries and the the business practices. Um, so it makes it that little bit easier to get information out of people and to share information, you know, and, and to be more useful, I guess.
0: So if you're a young corporate treasurer starting his career or like a, or her career and in a few years into treasury, and you like business trips, you'd rather go in a decentralized treasury, that because you're more likely to travel, right?
2: Potentially, potentially, yeah, yeah. So I think even as a regional treasury, you can always justify them.
0: That's that's a fair statement as well, indeed. So. Sticking to this company aspect and uh, the broader value of treasury towards the corporate, are only uh, companies of a certain size concerned by treasury centers? Because so we also have discovered that corporate treasury, or at least the best in class corporate treasury, also is a luxury that only big companies can afford because you, you don't hire a corporate treasurer when you're rather small, right? So is treasury center even a step further or how can we look at this Exactly.
2: Yeah, I think you're probably right. Like the centralization in like a designated treasury center just is more appropriate when you've got a bigger footprint. I, you know, having worked at a smaller Irish company, like 400 employees, the treasury function sat under a finance director. You know, sometimes I think if it's a smaller company, you should still carve out the treasury team, be it, you know, a one, two person team into the CFO. I think it has to be considered in the same way. You might look at tax. I think it needs its own reporting line because yes, treasury is a finance function, but treasurers and accountants look at cash very differently. You know, they're going to look at risk and exposure and currency management very differently. Not to say that you need the CFO in the middle, but I think you need to be able to give the two sides of the story. It's very hard to squeeze the treasury view into the the finance view. Um, without losing you know, some aspects and some insights. So I would say even if you're a small company, it is really good to break out that treasury team, have it standalone into the CFO and let them focus on the cash and let them focus on the risk with that sort of level of independence, if you like.
0: Mm. And so would typically treasury centers or even small treasury teams that have a centralized structure be sitting next to the CFO? I'm talking location-wise. Are you looking at having your CFO next to you or can it be like decentralized on that aspect
2: it could be but what i've seen is the treasurer will typically report into the cfo in that c-suite yeah Yeah. it makes a lot of sense
1: you mentioned something earlier amy and maybe you could just touch on again you you just briefly touched on in-house banks yes could you just give us a very quick definition of what an in-house bank is and how that affects everything we've been discussing so far
2: yep certainly so the in-house bank you know, in my view, and I'm sure it's shared, is probably the ultimate in terms of optimized treasury because you essentially become the bank to all of the legal entities within your company. So they shouldn't have any third-party banking relationships. And, you know, in some countries, they might not even have a bank account because treasury will be the bank. So if you have excess cash, You give it to the in-house bank. So you will have like an internal investment structure with them. If you have any currency exposure, you will trade. So in the same way, you might go out to like a Santander or a Citibank. You will actually trade directly with the treasury center. So you'll tell them if you need to buy or sell a currency, you know, you don't need to worry about making your payments. So the treasury center would make what we call payments on behalf of. So you don't need to have a local accounts payable bank account. And treasury will make those payments for you and then charge you back through what we would call like an essentially an in-house bank account. So you will have that bank account with the in-house bank and they will, you know, take away the accounts payable if you're receiving very often, because a lot of the banking structures can now support this as well, that you could pay to the Treasury Centre on behalf of your Spanish affiliate or your Italian affiliate. And so, again, depending on how good your, your IT support is and your systems, you know, you can automatically classify that from your treasury center account and give the credit to your Spanish subsidiary, for example. So you'll, like same as your own current account, you'll see all these transactions come and go across the statement. Yeah, so no need for a local bank account. You'll always, as I mentioned before, have the tax or payroll, but they would be exceptional. And everything then that the affiliate would need to do, they will bank with you.
1: So would that structure only work with this centralized treasury system, I guess, right?
2: Critical. Pretty much because you do need the IT support, you know, like if you think about it, like larger companies, like you can only imagine the amount, particularly like consumers, you know, or there's just with smaller customers, the amount of transactions that would be going into a bank account. So you really do need the IT support or your bank support to help you identify and, and classify what those transactions are and who the legal entity is that owns them, because it's paramount that you retain the legal entity and the, the legal ownership of those cash flows. So again, you know, the NS bank structure will also be geographical dependent. So We should probably caveat that as well.